Welcome back to Bible Love. Today, we're recording on Ash Wednesday. As you can tell, if you're watching on video, I have received ashes. Mary Balfour will hear shortly at her service. I've I also got on my Valentine's shirt, Alan. You do? Uh, yeah. Happy Valentine's, Mary Balfour. You are going to die. Um, <laughs> this is... Uh, it's not lost on me. Last time, um, Valentine's Day and Ash Wednesday were the same. You know, we joke and it's funny and all that. Actually, last time this happened, um, I believe it was 2018. Uh, that's when the shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas. That was Ash Wednesday. That was Valentine's Day. Yeah. But it is a weird day, right? Like, um, number one, super weird job, reminding people they're going to die, including uh, two little girls I baptized a couple weeks ago. Um, yeah. I told them this week or this morning they're going to die. And, yeah. uh, and also happy Valentine's Day. Yeah, it's weird. But, you know, I also think there's something wonderful about a time period when we can dig into that. And um, and not that it's all year round, but, you know, these 40 days, the importance of that. Um, I used to really shy away from Lent. I used to be really uncomfortable with it. But I'd like to think that as my relationship with Jesus grows that I become more and more comfortable with it. Um, So um, I'm ready. I'm here. I'm prepared. And um, I'm ready for my ashes and to remember that I'll die. Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting thing. We'll, we'll get to Jose in a minute, but we can talk about this. Uh, I don't like Ash Wednesday. I think I've talked about this before 2017. My dad was diagnosed with uh, stage four lung cancer on Ash Wednesday, and he was dead three weeks later. And so, like, I don't actually um, want to be reminded I'm going to die because uh, right. it's like ever present. But I think it's good. I'm not scared of it. I visited a guy, a parishioner who was care flighted uh, to the hospital for heart surgery a couple days ago, and I was joking with him yesterday. I was like, "I'm seeing you today because I'm a little busy tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Also, I don't think I." I don't need to come remind you you're going to die yeah, because you, know you like, you know that. And so like life happens and it comes fast, but today is a good day that we can remember. Uh, and it's also an invitation to a Holy Lent. We're not going to spend seven weeks feeling sorry for ourselves because we can't pretend we don't know what happens on Easter. Um, but it can help us, you know, clear out the clutter, whatever your Lenten practice is like, do not let it become an idol. No. Uh, let it be a tool to help you celebrate the resurrection, not some whip to beat yourself with. It shouldn't be a shaming time for sure. Yeah. It should be yeah. something that grow, that helps us go, grow closer to God. And that's yeah. what I always try to think about. So, well, yeah. let's pray. So, yeah, let's pray. This, uh, as we do each year, uh, now that we've done this three years during yeah. Lent, we're going to pray the colic for each of the Sundays in Lent. So this is the colic for the first Sunday. Let us pray. Almighty God, whose blessed Son was led by the Spirit to be tempted by Satan, come quickly to help us who are assaulted by many temptations. And as you know the weaknesses of each of us, let each one find you mighty to save. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.
Well, Alan, today we're talking about um, Hosea. So as you remember, we're, we, we're kind of in this season of sort of the end of the Old Testament. We're, we're almost there. And each of these prophets um, are sort of lifted up um, with their own uh, book of the Bible. Hosea is not a long book of the Bible. It's only 14 chapters. Um, Hosea was a prophet who um, preached in the northern part of Israel. But Hosea actually went through a lot of his own challenges. Um, He was a prophet during a time when there was not a great king in place. Um, So he was really trying to get God's people to realize that we must rely on God versus leadership versus the military which is interesting in this political season. Hosea also, um, his wife cheated on him. And um, God went to Hosea and said, instead of divorcing her, and instead of me divorcing the country of Israel, we're going to work together to try to make reconciliation and wholesomeness. I mean, even God even um, asked Hosea to... Um, pay off her debts and completely forgive her, which is a super hard thing to do, right? Um, So when I was studying Hosea and thinking about it, I was like, there is still so much of 2024 in this book, you know? So what what are your, some of your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, you know, let's just dive right into the marriage piece, right? Like I think God's design for marriage is that it's a lifelong monogamous commitment between two people. Um, Sometimes people use things like Hosea to force people to do things that are not in their best interest. Right. right? And we'll talk about the God and the Israel and that bit, but we just got to say, like if anyone tells you um, you got to stay married because God says so in Hosea, no. I'm divorced. Don't use that the wrong way, right? Right. Don't use it the wrong way, right? Like reconciliation is God's dream. And if a couple, like if there's a, a break in a relationship, I think God desires that it be reconciled. Sometimes that doesn't happen. And so uh, please don't hear us. Please don't let a church um, tell you that like you have to do this. Right. Uh, you have to try. I think you do have to try to reconcile. Um, but like I'm divorced. And it's okay. And I think if we know God is at work at things through the fruit that it bears, uh, my co-parent, Elizabeth and I, we're bearing fruit in our relationship and in our relationship with our kids. And so I think that um, stuff like this can sometimes get used as a sledgehammer. And someone said, you know, he married a prostitute and he wanted, she cheated and all this. And they stayed together because God, that was great for Hosea. And I think that's God's desire. Um, but don't let it become an idol. Um, well, and I think I think you made a great point there. It was great for Hosea, right? Like not every situation. I'm married to someone who's been divorced not once but twice, right? So I don't know if I've ever said that on the podcast, but I'm Murray's third wife, um, and but I like to say I'm the forever wife. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I even though I have not been through a divorce myself, I do know what it is like to be married to someone who's carried that kind of pain. Um, And I've walked with Alan through his divorce. I was part of that. Um, 
And so I, I do think we have to remember what's right for um, the situation. In the summer, we're going to have a really cool series. And one of the people that we're interviewing, um, he wrote a book about his marriage and his wife was unfaithful to him twice and how he used the Bible to work through that. So for that person, that went really well, you know, but for you, it was a different situation, you know? And so I do think we have to think about what works for us as individuals, but also how is God leading us in that, you know? And and Um, I think about here, right? Because some of this is like, we, people say, um, that marriage is a sign and a symbol of God's love, Christ's love for the church, right? There's that imagery in scripture. Christ is the bride and the bridegroom or God in Israel. It's in here. And so we see marriage is a sign and a symbol of that. And so we hold up marriage as like, if a marriage falls apart, what does that say about God? Well, let's be real here. Um, I fail at a lot of things. Sure, we all and So do. if we're holding me up as a sign and symbol of anything that God can do, uh, you're going to be woefully disappointed. Um, and so I think it's an ideal, but we can't idolize marriage. I don't think that's what the scripture is getting at. It can be a yeah. sign and a symbol of it, uh, but we're not the covenant relationship. Like, Yeah. And let me, let me just ask you this. I hope it's not too personal, but I think about since you've been divorced, you're an Episcopal priest, like, people probably be coming to you in pastoral care and they identify in that way. Like he's been through something I've been through or I'm going through or I'm struggling. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, there's probably very few professions in which you have to write a letter to your customers, your clients, your congregation, letting them know you're getting divorced. Right. Um, But, but as a rector, I did that. Uh, Lots of folks came to me and told me about difficulties in their marriage, about, them being on their second marriage when I didn't know because they've been married to their second spouse for 50 years or whatever it is. Like it opened up a thing because the reality is like we're all broken and none of us fulfill the, the ideal of, of God. And if we're real about whatever it is, whether it's marriage or whether it's the fact that like I fail in all these other ways or you fail in however many ways you do, like when we're real about that, we open up, pastoral conversation because yes like god holds up god's end of the covenant israel doesn't right right and if if we see ourselves more like israel and like we're going to screw up and maybe this ain't going to work out uh, i think that opens up a lot more um pastoral conversation it can maybe help us feel a little uh be a little more gracious with ourselves when we realize like our actions like Sure, we want to try to uphold our end of the covenant, um, but it ain't going to happen. Well, we're humans, and I I really appreciate your vulnerability in that. I think that's super important. So just to kind of lay out Hosea for you all, um, one through the middle of three is is, um, what we're talking about right now. Hosea's marriage, his family— how is God being a part of that? And then God uses that conversation for really the majority of the rest of the book, 4 through 13, um, and God's relationship with Israel and um, God feeling like people are putting too much emphasis on 
um, leadership and military and flying flags that are not the country they're in. And, um, you know, it keeps moving through that. And then the very last um, chapter, which I wish got like a little bit more really is about repentance and promise. Um, And there's this, this really, and I think Dr. Shoney talks about this too, but there's this really um, wonderful verse that's in actually in uh, chapter 11 and with it being Valentine's Day, this kind of just kind of um, spoke to me. But this love God has between God's people and God is this love is expressed in these moving words. How can I give you up, Israel? How can I abandon you? My heart will not let me do it. My love for you is too strong. And I think when we think about love and God's relationship, like so important to remember, God is saying, my heart is not, it's not capable of not loving you. It's like a parent and a child, right? Like there is nothing that any, your boys could do that would make you not love them. You know, my parents have said that to me a million times. There are certainly things they don't like, but there is nothing that would make them stop loving me. And I think if we think about God's love for us in that way, my heart will not let me do it. I love that. Like that just yeah. shows like how strong God's love for us is, even in our brokenness, even if a divorce happens, even if someone cheats on somebody, even, 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 even. It doesn't stop. Yeah. And I think about that, like parent-child relationships, marriage relationships. These are um, metaphors we use for for God and God's relationship. It's, it's metaphors scripture use because we're humans, right? Um, God does not yell at us like I yell at my kids. Right. Right. So even there, I love my kids to death. Sometimes I want to murder them. Mm-hmm. That's not a category for God. Right. And so like even that, um, like it's as close as we can get maybe is to say like, God loves us. Like I love my kids. It's not even. No, it's barely a shadow of God's love for us. And I think that's what's so hard for people to sometimes get because we don't see God in the physical way, although we do, you know, in nature and in other people and all of that. But I think like, I preach the same dang sermon every week. God loves you. God loves you. We in this podcast every time with God loves you. God loves you. I feel like as people of faith, people that love God, not just you and I, but anybody that walks down the street, the best thing we can do is tell people that God loves them. And that's what Hosea represents in this, you know, even in his own um, brokenness, even in his own. I'm sure he felt shame that his wife cheated on him. I'm sure he felt uncomfortable to have to continue to be a leader in this time of brokenness. Um, there is um, some stuff in the national church, not our church, but in another denomination right now about um a beloved pastor who's been um, excused from his job. And, you know, 
I keep wanting to just like hug his spouse and say, God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. You know, um, when I'm sitting with people in the hospital and they're so hurt and they're so broken and their bodies are failing them. God loves you. God loves you. You know, and I forget to tell myself that sometimes. Yeah. And that, you know, God loves Aaron Ivy. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So like, it's I'm so in the glad news, you picked whatever. up on what I was talking about. Like, I mean, there's this, he, when we idolize clergy, when we idolize anyone and say, they've got it figured out. It's that marriage in Hosea's time was unequal, right? Hosea married what the Bible calls prostitute. There was a huge power differential. Right. And, and Hosea is seen as like forgiving and reconciling and all of this, right? Like we're in the same thing. If we're in this covenant relationship with God, there is, it's the biggest power differential in the world. We're all like, you know, his failures uh, just make the news. My failures are a little bit easier to hide. Right. Uh, God loves us all. Right. And when we think that someone's got it figured out, when we think we have it figured out, that's when we idolize things. That's That's when we say a marriage falling apart is an utter failure and I can't be loved again. Or my kids, you know, rebelling is an utter failure and we can't be loved. Whatever it is, whatever the church has tried to tell you, whatever your conscience has tried to tell you, that it's not true. I mean, because God loves us. God God entered into this covenant relationship with us knowing that we were going to screw it up. Yeah. You know, you're right. You know, I can't help but not speak about this for a second. So the whole world on Sunday night watched the Super Bowl. Like it had more watches than any other. Oh, Swifties, man. I know. So I'm at um, youth group and you know, we're watching the Super Bowl and I'm I'm thinking about it. And these young girls are probably watching the Super Bowl for the first time because they idolize this woman, Taylor Swift, who I think is amazing too. I have admitted I'm a Swifty. I think she's awesome. I think she's a beautiful writer, a beautiful person. I'm not so sure about her relationship, but who am I to judge? So then the conversation goes around Travis getting mad at his um, at his coach and these young girls are seeing this. And I was kind of even like getting into this conversation last night at the pancake supper. And one of my parishioners reminded me like, this is not what this is about. Like we should be talking about how much God loves us right now, not about this relationship that we're all obsessed with. Right. And I just thought that was so good. She even helped me remember, like, get back to it. You know, and I'm not saying you can't have fun conversations about Taylor and Travis. I mean, they're all over the news. But I do think to myself, or even Trump, Nikki Haley, Joe Biden, I think to myself, like, what if we talked about God's love for us as much as we talked about these other things? Why do we focus so much on all that? And I know we have to be entertained and we want, we get sucked into stuff, you know, but I just, I wish we could all turn that page in our head, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think God really closes it out perfectly. I'm in the very last chapter of Hosea, of Hosea. So this is chapter 14. 
the Lord says, I will bring my people back to me. I will love them with all my heart. No longer am I angry with them. I will be to the people of Israel like a rain in a dry land. They will blossom like flowers. They will be firmly rooted like the trees of Lebanon. They will be alive with new growth and beautiful like olive trees. They will be fragrant like the cedars of Lebanon. Once again, they will live under my protection. They will grow crops of grain and be fruitful like a vineyard. They will be as famous as the wine of Lebanon. The people of Israel will have nothing more to do with idols. I will answer their prayers and take care of them. Like an evergreen tree, I will shelter them. I am the source of all their blessings. So I think that's what kind of got me thinking about like idols in our world and our time. And the sad thing is, is we're still dealing with idols in 2024. Like this has not changed. But the one thing that has stayed constant through all of this is God's love. Yeah. Heart has never. Yeah. I mean, I think about that a little higher up in 14 what's sticking out to me is chapter three or verse three it leads up to to what you just read says assyria shall not save us we will not ride upon horses we will say no more our god to the work of our hands uh number one we could translate that america will not save us Mm -hmm. um we will not ride upon f-35 strike fighters yep um but that part we will say no more our god to the work of our hands it's not just other people we idolize. It's not just the work of our hands. We idolize that we can figure it all out. We idolize that we can save the world. We, I, I do. We idolize that I can save the church, yeah. right? And this, Hosea is pointing out, we are utter failures in all of that. Ash Wednesday points out, we are utter failures. Um, remember, you are dust, and to dust you shall return. None of, like, none of this lasts. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm grateful for Hosea because I, I'm, you know, I like, I always like a, a, a book of the Bible, a prophet that kind of connects me with what's going on. And when I was, when I read this, which I'm sure I've read before, but when I read this, like that was just kind of like all over me, you know? Um, and even just like in the last week, the idols, the things we think about, I mean, I, I watch The Bachelor every week. Like, I, I admit to it. You know, like, I'm like, who's Joey going to pick this week when really I should be doing something else, like praying or thinking about other people, you know? And I'm not shaming myself for that. That's just life and 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 who we are. Um, but but it is it is a good reminder in this time of Lent. Like, what are the things that we can do that just bring us back? And how many times do we need to read these passages that say over and over how much God loves us? And not only how much God loves us, but that God literally cannot, His heart, God's heart will not let Him not love us. Like that is just so powerful to me. So that's Hosea. Yeah. And next week, we will be talking about Micah. So this is kind of fun to learn about all these um, different prophets and what they brought uh, to the kingdom and how they were voices for God. So I'm grateful yeah. for that. Well, happy Valentine's Day. Happy, happy Valentine's Day. Wednesday. <laughs> all rolled into one. And listeners, remember, as always, that we love you, but most importantly, God does. <laughs>